Really, this is, um, I, I've been thinking about this this afternoon as I'm embarking on, on, on covering the, uh, the, the topic of biblical theology of missions. It's really, it's really a, lifelong, a lifelong study for me, and actually coming at this point today is, is significant for me because it kind, of, it kind of brings me to a point where I've been um, living missions, experiencing missions, studying missions, and coming at the point where I have a chance to really uh, teach a biblical perspective on missions and how that incorporates in the church. So it's not just a it's not just theology; it's applied theology. How how does it work within the church? How do we make it work within the church? And try to to filter all of our experience in the matter. And I want to really tonight begin by by giving you a little bit of background from a missional perspective. To understand the things I, I I grew up with and struggled with, and kind of part of that is searching to not resolve every possible tension there is a resolve, but how how does missions function within the church, and how do I resolve all these what I saw as discrepancies growing up in, in missions, things that were being said, but yet things that were being done, and where did the church actually fit into all of this, and try to bring clarity to some of that. So really, the first part of what we're going to be doing is laying laying a foundation that we're going to get to. Um, probably in about in about two weeks, we're going to get to uh, the the church the, the church being the pillar of truth. What does that mean for the church? Well, that means we proclaim it. We're the guardians of truth. We proclaim truth, and how does that look in missions? And then going on to the Great Commission. So, before I do that today, first I want to lay the the foundational bit where I'm coming and why we're discussing this subject, why we're studying this. You have a lot of footnotes in this. Yes, a lot of this stuff. This is tweaked from. A lot of my research that I've been doing, so I say about the footnotes is there because I want to give credit to where this material comes from, not because I endorse every author and everything they've written. It's only to reference where uh, I've been reading and researching, so is there for that purpose, for integrity purposes. I, I remember um, following a study once from, from a... Um, conference and, the, and there was like this three-day five-session study and the man had f- full notebook like this but no references for anything at the end the only thing he said at the end of his notes you're not allowed to reference his notes unless you ask for his permission i'm thinking <laughs> you referenced nothing in your notes in other words you didn't give credit to anybody for what your research but yet i can't use your notes unless i ask you permission i, I get that so i just want to to give direction on that, let's go ahead and open a word of prayer and commit our, our evening to the Lord. Father, it's a blessing to be here and to be able to study your word. We're passionate, Lord, about the gospel because, first of all, we're grateful for truth that's been bestowed and, and, and entrusted to us. And we want to be faithful with that. We want to be able to, to carry that to the uttermost. We want to be able to be faithful to the command, the mandate that's been given to us. Lord, we... We're here also because we, we love the church, we're involved in the church, we're committed to the church, the local assembly, and we want to know how, even as a body of Christ, we can be obedient and faithful. So Lord, help us in the weeks ahead as we walk through this, that we might be faithful to your word, that we might try to see how this applies to not just how we think about things, but how we live out our, our theology in a practical way, Lord, so I commit this time to you. In your name we pray. Amen. So I want to give not just not really my testimony in terms of salvation purposes, but I want you to to see where I'm coming from and what 
drives me all these years to understand where does missions fit within the church and how do you really apply missions within the local body and, and what does the word of God say about it. Uh, I was raised on a mission field, so I was raised in a very church planning culture. My parents were uh, worked in two different church plants that I was part of as, as a young child growing up, so we breathed the local church, we lived the local church, we, we were about planning churches, and I could just remember as a young child, everything was about preparing things for, for a, a church plant ministry and ministering in the church. We served the nurseries, we helped teach, we helped watch kids, we helped whatever it was, clean on weekends. Everything was lived and breathed uh, the local church. I had parents who were from an independent Baptist mission agency, and uh, I would often, often hear comments. Uh, and that's my, my parents are very faithful and very loving parents, and very faithful ministers of the gospel. But there's always a culture amongst missionaries about there's always a us versus them culture. The church that doesn't understand missions and us missionaries who are really living missions. And I always lived in that culture of those kind of conversations amongst missionaries about the home church not really understanding what missions is about. And so they, 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 they come back on, on furlough. They raise support from churches who some of them don't have home churches, which means they don't really have someone they go back and report to, but they visit churches. And, and so I lived in that, in that culture of us missionaries doing the task and doing the work of the gospel and the home church back home living life up pretty comfortably, but not really understanding what missions is about. I joined Timberlake Baptist Church in 1991, just freshly married to Jane, uh, graduated from Tennessee Temple University, came here, and at that point, God had already drawn our hearts to be in, in missions, so we came here with a desire to be involved in missions, and the Lord providentially brought us to Timberlake. Uh, Jane was applying at LCA. I know, it's just like... Can you believe that? Um, LCA didn't have didn't have position, but they said there's another school across town. If you want to check over there, and so they sent her over to Tim, to, to Tim Lake, to a Christian school. They were they were not looking for an English teacher, but they were looking for a Bible and French teacher. So there I was. She signed me up. I think she forged my name on a contract and got me uh, uh, committed to that. I was at the time I was serving in I was in basic training. At the time, and um, Jane so graciously found a job for me to, when I came home to um, Dr. Du, uh, not Dr. Duke Caring, but Duke Caring was um, the administrator there, and he said, well, listen, we've got a missions conference going on right now. Uh, if you guys want to, you guys should come and visit. So uh, we came, and we visited the missions conference, and we probably visited maybe a couple of churches in the area right before that. I think we were at Berean once and uh, maybe somewhere else, but really we landed here and we pretty much committed to, to this church pretty pretty quickly at that point. Um, at the time when we were committed to missions, to show you the culture that exists in, in the missional world, the, the director of my parents' board approached us about joining their, their agency we did not feel like we were compatible with where they were at. Some areas that we did not feel like we, we could have adapted to it, but we didn't really feel like we were really congruent already at that point. And so they recommended my brother not work with us because he said he's gonna, I'm going to be a bad influence on him because I'm this, this, you know, this, I'm this rebel who doesn't want to, to follow in, in those footsteps. And it shows you the, 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 the culture. When I was going and raising support, I'd have pastors tell me that they were told by mission agency leaders oh you shouldn't support this guy because he's 
an independent guy accountable to no one, you know, because he's not under some, well, in this case, it was their agency. And so it, it, there's, this, there's this culture behind being part of an agency or not being a part of an agency that I, I, I grew up in, and even experiencing that as, as we made our own decisions as to um, how we should approach the, the idea of going to the mission field. Now, this is not a, to say that what Jane and I did is a pattern that everyone can emulate and can follow. That's not at all what I'm suggesting. We knew where we were going. We knew the, I knew the language. Jane learned it very quickly. But we knew where we were going, what we were getting involved in. And so we didn't feel like the, if we had to have a separate agency, we really need one. But in making that decision, I realized there's a whole culture behind it that put me at odds with a lot of, a lot of people. I raised support. And Patrick said, well, you got two strikes against you. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, one, you went to Liberty. Okay, I can't do much about that. Two, you're not going out under the board. I says, well, I don't know much about baseball, but I've got three strikes, don't I? And I said, I didn't help me. I didn't get, it. I didn't get the first base with the guy. So I, I just discovered a real culture. I said, well, I don't really understand how we came to this point where trying to be sent by your church was problematic to the point where they wouldn't support us and wouldn't consider us for support if we did not respond or did not fall into a certain category. Now, Timberlake at the time had what they called the Missionary Assistance Program, a MAP program. We had a missionary um, in uh, New Brunswick, I believe it is, that was under the program. Um, I worked closely with Jack Barker, good friend. He's still still a good friend. I visited with him in, the, in the Dunbar, West Virginia. Uh, he was working on the missions committee. They were, they were concerned at the time at the church. I get that. They were concerned that um, going out into the church, you know, what do we do? Uh, retirement, health, emergencies, I get that. They had those concerns. So they weren't quite prepared at that point to, to make that kind of leap. So we joined a board. We found a board that we felt like was very church or, local church-oriented called Worldwide New Testament Baptist Missions out of Wilburn, North Carolina. We joined. We went to candidate school, joined that board. But I told the board from the get-go, Dr. Whetstone was the president, says, Sir, I want you to understand, the day the church says I can go out under the church, I'm going out under the church. He says, we absolutely support that. That's what we're about. A year later, uh, the missionary that we were supporting in the MAP program dropped out for different reasons, and the church came back around. At that point, I had that conversation about coming under the MAP program. I went back to the board and said, listen, this is our desire. So and Dr. Weston, to his credit, I mean, still recommended us to churches for support. I had a great relationship with, with him, met with, met with him in France years later. So he was very – they genuinely supported a, a local church's desire to – to do that. So we left for the field uh, as uh, missionaries out under the church. And growing up, developing our own philosophy as to what is the responsibility of the church and missions. I just found there to be constant contradictions into what we're saying about the church and what we're experiencing in the mission field and statements people are making about, about the church and its, and its primary responsibility. Almost systematically in missions, when you read missional work, and I mean I'm, I'm measuring my words, but I, not, 99% of the time, if not 100% of the time, every author that speaks about missions will – there's two angles. Either one author is a mission author. He's a, either a missionary or a mission agency guy. If that's his case – He's going to teach on his subject, and he's going to caveat the church is important. Unless, ah, there's always that unless. 
Oh, unless the church is not doing anything then, then, of course, you could bypass the church. They don't quite say it in those words, but pretty systematic to the way they approach the issue. Meaning, as long as, yeah, it's like you, the church is good as long as the church is consistent with what you're endeavoring to do. But the moment the church is not following you on that, then, then of course, you have a higher calling or a greater calling. So there's like this super calling of missions is one that's extra biblical. I mean, not extra biblical, but extra church. It's outside the church. So you have a greater calling. There's a church, and there's this greater calling of missions. And if the church is going to hold you back, and the church is not going to uh, either affirm or support, then we well, have a greater calling to answer to, and the church becomes all of a sudden subvergent to that. That's systematically, and I, did, I could never reconcile that thought. How, how do I process that? How is that consistent with what I'm trying to accomplish even as a church planter, going and, and doing that work in a, in a separate field? So I wanted to understand, I mean, what does the church, what is the church mandate to do? What does it have to do? Now, it's not just a matter of saying what, what am I convinced is, is more important or, more, or vital but what is the church to do in missions? What is it obligated to do as a church? That I need to understand. I mean, I'm the, the missional pastor here. I should understand. I mean, what is a church obligated to do? Because in the missional world, most people expect the church to do two things, to pay and pray for missions. That's 9% of what's expected of the church. Very little is expected beyond that or at least in the practical aspect, is expected beyond that. So I, I say all that because those are the, the challenges I, I, I grew up with in the missional realm and understanding, I mean, what, what applies to the church and what is something that we, um, we can affirm our biblical parameters for, for a local church. I put down here... Subject of missions presents three, well, I've got three unique challenges that make, that make the question of missions challenging. What, what areas do you think are unique to missions that make missions challenging? The subject of missions challenging. Is like any other, is like any other subject? It isn't. I don't mean it's more important at all what I mean. But you could talk about anthropology. You could talk about uh, soteriology. You could take all the ologies and study them. It's not going to create the same emotion as discussing missions. Why is that? Any thoughts on that? You know as a, as a young pastor walks into a church, the subject of missions is very delicate. Now, there are other areas that can be difficult. But the subject of missions always become a very sensitive matter and makes it difficult to, to establish strong biblical parameters because there's all these other challenges around missions. I put down three areas here. One, it's an emotional subject. What makes it emotional? Personal experiences. Personal experiences. Relationships. Relationships. I mean, you start... You start trying to put biblical parameters around missions, and you touch someone that you know that's a friend of yours, that you've loved all these years, that you supported all these years, and they're doing good work. They're a good person. He's a good man. She's a good woman, and she's doing good work, and you touch that area. All of a sudden, boy, you, you get a quick, a quick emotional response to the subject. 
Now, to be clear, the objective and the goal is not to is not to be disparaging towards what I call paramissional organization. I'll define that a little bit later. Because the issue is not what their role is to play. The issue is what role am I to play and how do I have a, a healthy relationship with other agencies who are going to facilitate missions. So that's legitimate, but that will be near the end product of our discussion once we've established other parameters. Because once I've established my biblical parameters, then I say, okay, now how does that fit within the context of how do I work with a healthy mission organization? Mark Dever said a healthy paramission organization is one who, number one, knows he's not a church. It's probably a good place to start. But how do you work with that, and how do you, what's a healthy missionary look like? So we'll look at that near the end of our study uh, after we've established some parameters. So it's an emotional discussion because, yes, friends, uh, experiences, uh, friends that we, people that we've supported, those prayer cards you have on your refrigerator, which is why as a church, two things I want you, as we walk out through and walk through this, walk through this class or this lesson is one, what are biblical parameters for missions, and then it will help you understand as a church, too, what parameters we're trying to establish going forward and who we support, why we support them, and how we support them. Michael's here. Michael's a great example of that. How do we process Michael being in, in, in ministry, and how do we send him off, and what parameters are we looking for? When Steve and Katie come here come from another church, what parameters do we establish to determine this is a healthy ministry, here's how we support them, here's how we get involved? We have all those thought processes that hopefully follow biblical parameters on, on the subject. So, yes, it's an emotional subject, and it becomes very personal. And the intent is not to be disparaging towards agencies, towards people and how they're doing things. By the grace of God, I've seen a lot of things. I'm sure like Brian has on the mission field. We know a lot of things that goes on that's not necessarily what we'd like to see. But God fulfills his purposes in spite of man, not because man is such a wonderful person. So God fulfills his purposes and accomplishes his mission, not because we're always getting it right, but because he's sovereign in the affairs of men. So it's not because man does something. And even when you look at history, we'll look at a little bit about history, but even when you look into history, uh, it's not because William Carey has some great things about what he did, and he, and he certainly is an example in a number of areas. There are other things that we couldn't emulate of his life either so there's it's, it's not a statement to as to a person and are they good people are they honorable people are they spiritual people but we should still be able to tackle these difficult questions even knowing these these sensitive parameters two up and down it's a difficult subject difficult because we're using terms like missions missionary uh, local church universal church invisible church uh, all these terms that really are terms that we've created to try to explain something. So, but from the moment you're using extra biblical terms, it becomes, of course, more difficult to to get a handle on what you're trying to say and why you're saying it and what you're trying to accomplish through that. So, there's def- there's definitely difficult because there's cultural things, there's generational differences, there are uh, traditional differences, historical differences. Uh, so, with that comes many many presuppositions. We walk into the, uh, the study of missions with a lot of presuppositions about what missions is, what it looks like, and it's very rare that I don't engage someone in a missions conversation that have questions about it, that are not emotional about it because, well, my mom did this, my mom did that, my dad did this, and, and, and then they walk into, well, missions is this, missions is that. Everyone's a missionary. Everything is missions, and, and it gets very convoluted, and because of that, it gets, it gets very difficult. 
I put down two that is very diverse. And what I mean by diverse is the 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 mission literature is is very diverse because each person that writes usually has an angle on why he's writing what he's writing. Uh, some books are are, are are way out there in, in their presentation of what missions is. Others have a very narrow view of some things. So, I mean, the, the, the literature on it is not as straightforward as you might as you might have in studying a studying anthropology, for example. You might have some more straightforward. Go to Wayne Grudem and, and speak that. Wayne Grudem is going to address some aspects of ecclesiology, but it may not always work its way into, into missions the way you want to. So it's, it's a diverse subject and sometimes hard to, hard to narrow. So why study missions? I put down there's much confusion over the role of the church and specifically what the local church is uniquely and exclusively designed and created to do. That term, I'm going to come back to that term in a few minutes, what the church is uniquely designed and what the church is exclusively Design and I, I tell you what. Most of the time, when I use the word exclusive, people react. They're, they're, most people are are bothered by the term exclusive. And as a matter of fact, I had to, I really challenged my advisor on this term because he didn't feel comfortable with me using this term even in my thesis. Because as soon as you were, as soon as you were you use the word exclusive, it, it it locks the church into a role that no one else can have. And that bothers people because it goes back to, well, what if? Uh, you know, what if the church is not faithful? What if the church is not doing this? I mean, I, and, and they always want this exit door. I have to, to firmly believe that God designed the church in a way to fulfill the Great Commission. I, can't, I, cannot, I cannot imagine a way where somehow I'm going to have to improve on what God has designed. I can't think that way. How, how can I fathom the beauty of the church in all its weaknesses, in all its imperfections? But how can I imagine that I'm going to take the church and say, well, God somehow has a mandate and a great commission, and the church is the instrument of that. But somehow God didn't realize the church wasn't going to be up to the task, so I'm going to have to charge that hill on my own and leave the church behind. How, is that, how, do, how can I even process I can't. I have to believe that God designed the church in such a way that, yes, with all its imperfections, with all of its shortcomings, and yet in a way that's, that can accomplish the task that it is designed to do. So my, my desire is to find out what is the church uniquely designed to do and what is it, is it exclusively created to do. And from there, there are my parameters. After that, the rest can fit in that box. But I need to establish those parameters before I can, I can go much further. So... Statement for our study is found in, in our thesis here. It says the church is God's divine instrument designed to, f- to fulfill the Great Commission. The church has an exclusive missional responsibility as a pillar of truth to make disciples of all nations by going, baptizing, and teaching the whole counsel of God. And in doing so, the church will do what it is uniquely designed to do, multiply itself until the ends of the earth. So, Here's where we're, we're going to build on this, and we're going to lay that foundation, and we're going to unfold this and unpack this in our, in our time, to, in our weeks, in the weeks ahead. So someone's asking me, I think it was Mark, you know, well, saying, you know, can I, can I do this in three lessons? Well, yeah, you could probably do, you could probably teach 
missions and three lessons. You could probably do it in two lessons. Yeah, I, could, I could just take an hour if that's all I had, but this is an opportunity for me to really unpack this. And really, I want to get down to, to the weeds of it in, in a way that's applied to how we live uh, within the church and how we, how we apply it within our own congregation. I have two preliminary definitions, and we're using them here so that we can, we're going to be using these terms, and I want to be able to establish these terms on the front end. Two terms, one, the term missions and the term missionaries. The first term missions will refer to the sending of commissioned individuals beyond the boundaries of the local church to proclaim the gospel, to win converts, and establish autonomous congregations. I will make a distinction at some point between what I call missions and ministry. There are a lot of great ministries out there serving a lot of great needs, but I'm going to distinguish that between what missions is and what the church is obligated to do versus many good ministries and what they're doing and make a distinction, a, a distinction between those two. Not to, not to belittle one or to uplift the other, but just to, to bring clarity to our conversation. This is missions. Uh, and I define what I call there's parachurch ministries and there's what I call paramissional ministries. I'll define that a little bit later. But understanding what missions is, not everything done in the name of the Lord that's good is missions. doesn't make it bad. It's just that there's, you know, there, it, it could be feeding the poor. It could be clothing people, whatever it is. Uh, missions has parameters that we need to establish and we, if, we were, if we're to understand what the church is to be doing with it. The missionaries will refer to those involved in missions as envoys sent by Christ through the church to proclaim the risen Savior. So all these have very clear parameters that will be helpful for us as we go forward. So where to begin here? Well, the, for, for us to accept or to understand the exclusive nature of the church, we need to, to back up all the way to the exclusivity and the exclusive nature of God himself. The church is a, is, is a continuation, is a... You're, you're talking about the exclusive nature of God. God, I mean, in every way you can imagine, God is the exclusive nature of God. There's one true God. He's a creator God. He's a redeemer God. There's one true God. Through him, there's what? One savior, one revelation. The church finds itself... As a recipient of God's revelation, as a recipient of God's truth, and then is given the responsibility of, of proclaiming that truth. In other words, when we talk about the exclusive nature of the church, it's not like all of a sudden the church has this, this unique category of being exclusive. We've always had an exclusive God with an exclusive revelation given down to a church within an exclusive mission and uh, fulfilling the purposes of that mission. So... I put down the exclusive nature of the church. Matthew 16, 18. We'll, we'll unpack that in a few minutes, so we're not going to turn there. But he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'll give you my, my take on that passage, which is I, I'm always really hesitant when I say something that's not exactly in agreement with MacArthur because he's a much greater man than I am. But I'm walking on thin ice when I say something that's not quite MacArthur approved. But... Um, I, I, Matthew sixteen eighteen is a very powerful, a very definitive, and a very exclusive statement. 
I put down that it's powerful because it has a full weight of deity making a claim as to what he will accomplish. It's definitive in that once God has proclaimed it, he will do something. And then it's uh, nothing can keep, obviously, a sovereign God from fulfilling his purposes. Then it's exclusive in view of the fact that God has made the church the focus of his blessing and has made it his chosen van his chosen vessel to advance and grow his kingdom. So I mentioned the word exclusive. The word exclusive means having an exclusive right or a just claim. What does it mean to be exclusive? Have exclusivity. The church has exclusivity in the area of missions because he has an exclusive right in certain areas that God ordained, and it has a just claim in the areas that God has ordained as well. So there are specific areas of missions where the church has exclusivity, meaning God ordained exclusive rights. I need to understand those as a church. I certainly need to understand those as a missions pastor. The world of missions is so, is so diverse and so, so rich, and you, if you see a chart of um, agencies or nonprofits, you see a chart of nonprofits. That, you know where they grow? They always grow the most, not in unreached areas. They grow where the church is the strongest. So you look at the charts, and I don't have them here, but I've, I've done that research, and it's interesting to see the more uh, a area has, the more churches they have, the more non-religious nonprofits they have. Why? Because they feed off believers, right? That's where they that's where they get their uh, the support from. But so in that in in, in Lynchburg. Has, I, I, I've got numbers a little bit later in, in the study just about uh, how we navigate some of these, uh, some of these questions. But in a, in a culture where there is so much or so many nonprofits that are doing Christian work and good work and, and they're all missions and they're all missionaries, I, it behooves me to understand, okay, well, here I'm a missions pastor. What do I do? I mean, I'm navigating in the, in the deep end of the pool here, and everyone's using this, and there's confusion. So I need to understand and we as a church need to understand what are we called to do so that when someone comes and presents their work, say, hey, I, I or a friend, because today very few missionaries go to churches for support. Most mission agencies train missionaries to go to individuals for support. Uh, classic example of that is We're Life. I'm not dogging We're Life. My wife went there. We love the institution, and they do many great things. But they train the missionaries not to go to churches, to bypass churches and go friend-raising to raise support. Now, there's different reasons for that, but in the process of that, it means as a church, there's a lot of influences in a congregation that have nothing to do with what we're doing as a mission agency but or as a, as a, as a church that, that pulls in the church in, in every possible direction. So there's just a lot of influences. It's helpful for people to process if you're going to support a friend, another organization, for whatever reason you're drawn towards that, it, it behooves us to understand, uh, first of all, what are some of the things we should be doing as a church and what represents healthy ministries to pour into um, beyond that. And I support people outside of our program as well. It's, just, it's a matter of knowing how to process that and knowing how to think through that. So there's exclusivity, and then there's truth. What is truth? Very broad statement, but what is truth? Something that aligns with reality. Something that aligns with reality. What does Mark Hager say about reality? I said the Bible always interprets reality. Right? That word is truth. So truth is something that aligns itself with reality as God presents, of course, that reality. So truth is by definition exclusive in nature. There can't be multiple truths. There can't be 
your truth, my truth. Now, in this society, we, we kind of feel that way. And I find it interesting that even, even some of these things, I look at the, uh, the rise of individualism and missions and how do, you, how do you respond to the rise of individualism and missions. And that's actually at the core issue, what they're dealing with even in the other class, right, talking about um, a strange new world is the rise of, of individualism. How do, what do I want to identify myself as? So truth is, is exclusive in nature. And truth will inevitably point to what is false. I mean, the more you understand what is true, the more you're able to identify what is not true. And so as we examine the missionary role of the church, the question is not simply identify what is important or vital, but what is true. So we could, we could, we could argue, well, this is vital. This is, this is, if I'm going to put different tiers, this is a tier one responsibility for a church. This is tier two. This is tier three. That, that can't be helpful, but let me... Let me word it this way. What I'm trying to find out is what is true about the church. What is revealed about the church through God's revelation that is true that I need to be able to then implement in, in, in missional work. Truth should transcend time. Schnabel, I'm not sure, I'm probably butchering his name, but he's, he's got huge volumes on, on, on mission history. And it's really interesting. He goes, the question we should be asking ourselves is, why, if the biblical pattern is here, why are we over here, basically is what he's saying. Why have we deviated from that? Is there cultural reasons? Are there practical reasons? What brings us over here whenever the biblical picture is this? And, and so what he's saying is that there should be truth that transits time. There, there are cultural issues. There's technology issues and missions. There's, there's uh, closed nations. There's unreached nations. There's, there's uh, iron curtains. There's bamboo curtains. I mean, there's all these, all these d- dynamics and parameters around missions, but I... I need to understand what is true about missions, which means what is what transcends time. And also what I think is important is many times the, what you hear about missions is, well, this is a big church. So, yeah, heritage can do this because heritage has the means to do that. Well, truth transcends time and resources, and it should apply to a church of 50 the same way it should apply to a church of 500. That's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for... You know, what can Timberlake do because we're a church with these kind of resources? I'm looking for what should the church do regardless of what size it is because this mandate is given to a church of every size uh, and with whatever means God has, has given to them. So the other thing about truth is that it's not created. Truth is revealed. Truth is revealed. So I'm looking for not to uh, create my own parameters based on my experiences, based on what I think works, Based on what I've seen, based on what seems reasonable, based on what I, you know, these, this this day and age, based on the current model, ba- I I have to use parameters that are uh, truth parameters that have been revealed and that can be demonstrated biblically. If we can demonstrate something biblically, we have the biblical mandate to do what? To be obedient to it, not to rationalize, to reason with it. So, well, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, but whatever. You know, what, what about that? And then, as you know, in church, in our personal lives, right, we, we reason out, well, I know what the Bible says about this, but you understand my circumstances are different. Wow. Relativism. Pragmatism. Th- that filters in our thought process. So I'm looking for missional principles and parameters that one can be applied to, to us or the church of any size because the biblical truth. But these biblical parameters, if they are true, then I have to know how to conform to them. I can't. There's a good expression in France that's beauté en touche. 
is a soccer expression where, you know, when they, at the end of the game, they're trying to kill time. What do soccer players do when they try and kill time? They kick the ball out of bounds. They, make the, you know, they do all these things to try to slow the game down. We can't afford to, to kick that to something else, basically to, to, um, to not take ownership and responsibility for the truth that's revealed to us. I need to identify truth as it pertains to our biblical obligations, our missional obligations, and then I'm called to conform to it. I put one quote here. So the work of missions is the work of God, and is not lawful for us to improvise. At each step, we must ask what it is that God demands. That's what we're, we're looking for. What does God demand of us, and what is the demand of, of the church? What you see in history, and Chuck Lawless, I reference him quite a bit in, in my notes, but he's, he did a wonderful job, a wonderful work. Uh, he's a Southern Baptist, and he traced the history of the Southern Baptist. He says, why has missions gone south? Why has missions gone so liberal in the Southern Baptist movement? He says, the moment we started teaching missions as a separate piece of theology apart from the church, slowly the, those two started to diverge. And missions became, actually, when you look at some of the, the, the statements made at the time, they thought theology was going to slow missions down. You know, because we're, we're too narrow, right? So theology proper is going to slow us down. And what missions needs to, has a, has a strength of its own, let it roll, you know, let it, let it, don't slow progress down. He says what happened, and he's, he uh, does a great job picturing that. Of course, he's Southern Baptist, so he's not speaking against it. He's just saying, the moment you take missions and you separate it from everything else, you don't attach it to proper ecclesiology, you don't, attach, you don't attach it to truth. You don't attach it to biblical parameters. It can go in every possible direction. And there are many books that testify to uh, the book called by J.D. Greer by, uh, called Missional Drift that talks about how when an institution separates itself from the church, it will go south. It will go liberal. Why? Because you don't have the pillar of truth that anchors that institution in proper truth and proper parameters. So though, that's the framework behind our understanding of, of truth and how that plays into our understanding of, of missional work. I'm watching my time here a little bit because I do want to... The good thing about having complete notes is that I don't have to go over everything. You can see some of that for yourself. But exclusive nature of God, two things. You walk into a creator God, and I want to look at one passage. If you want to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. <clears throat> Put down that truth about missions flows from the truth about God. <coughs> understanding the exclusive nature of missions begins with understanding the exclusive nature of God. If we separate those two, then we'll, we'll find what we have at the end of this chapter. We won't get to today. We'll, we'll talk about four areas that, that, need to, that, we are, that cause resistance with this, and that's pragmatism, individualism, uh, experientialism and why those things are problematic in missions and, and they're there when we, we pull away from understanding that we're working with a revealed truth and our job and our responsibility is to understand the biblical parameters that we're to, to draw from <clears throat> but it begins with understanding one there's a creator God Genesis 1 right in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth the identity of it, there's, there's the identity of an unchallenged reality of God it's made 
manifest from the beginning of Scripture. Now, the Bible makes it clear that there is but one true God, one Jehovah God of Israel. He introduced as the creator God, author, possessor of all things. And the picture of this effortlessness and sovereignty on the part of the creator God will be seen in the creation of his people and his church. In other words, we have a creator God who effortlessly created everything that we can observe. Everything that we, that's tangible, that we, can, that we breathe and live, that we observe, was created by this one true God. And the whole Old Testament is pointing systematically toward this one true God and his, his revealing himself, manifesting himself through his people. The same one true God is obviously uh, entirely capable of uh, not only being the creator of the creation that we see, but of his people and of his church as well. Then we have one Redeemer God. I want to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I like, the, I like the, 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 the reference here because it's a reminder that all missional endeavors are a demonstration of love rooted in the believer's worship of the one true God. Our Mission endeavors are there not to fulfill our obviously our own personal ambitions, but want to reveal and the, is an act of worship of the one true God. In Deuteronomy four, we have the first the first reminder. We have the first reminder since Genesis one that God is at the origin of all creation. Verse thirty two. For as now concerning the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on earth, and as for one end of heaven to the other, whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like it has been heard, we walk through the reminder of the Creator God that there's no other like Him. Verse 34, that there's a Redeemer. Verse 39 through 40, that His statutes are to be obeyed. And Moses reminds the people of the Decalogue in Deuteronomy 5. Finally, we have here in chapter 6, given them a little further in chapter 6, the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to all your strength. Deuteronomy 6, 5. He connects the dots for the people of Israel here, going back to first what? There's one creator God. There's one redeemer God. And this Redeemer God, you're called to do what? You're called to love him. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Of course, remind that in Matthew 22 as well. All missional endeavors flow from the one creator God, the one Redeemer God. And from there, a love for him and a love for uh, his people and a desire to serve him. I put down. I put down in the notes here. All missional endeavors are de- demonstrations of love, rooted in the believer's worship of the one true God. We are in what I call a period of common grace. Now I'll let you just read through that. One where the beauty of a period of common grace is that we're in a period where God draws people to Himself, and we're in a period where God grows grows the church. Uh, this period of common grace that we live in is one designed to, to grow the church. I put down that as an act of grace, not only does God draw people to himself, but he sends 
those same people to the uttermost parts of the earth as a conduit through which reconciliation is proclaimed to a lost and, and dying world. So what a beauty we see in this period of common grace that we exist and that we live in. One, God is drawing people to himself. There's one creator God, this one redeemer God that I'm called to love and serve fully and completely. From that flows a God who draws people to himself and a time where, as an act of grace, we're able to go to the utmost parts of the earth. And reminds me of uh, even what Michael was saying the other day in, in, as he was teaching last week, as preaching last week, the recognizing God's grace that we have to serve him and to uh, even serve in his missional capacity and taking the gospel to the utmost parts of, of the earth. Um, it's a little past six, so next time what we'll do is we'll pick up on the nature of the church to tackle a couple questions that, first of all, define church, the promise made to Peter. I do tackle the questions of invisible church, universal church, uh, how those are terms, obviously, that were created to help us understand a spiritual reality, but I want to, to frame those correctly, and we'll, we'll do that We'll do that next time. So it's a little bit tedious. I'm going, to, I'm going to use this word. I'm going to, it may not be the right word. But it might seem a little bit tedious in the beginning to, to lay the groundwork around the exclusive nature of God. But I want to understand in missions that everything, the exclusivity of the church or the exclusive nature of the church flows from an exclusive God to his exclusive revelation, the Redeemer God, and then we have the church as a recipient of this. Because if I don't understand the weight of that, then I take missions as anything I want it to be. Or missions is, 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 is done in a way that I think is most efficient. If I don't understand the, that it's the recipient of this, it's my alarm. Tell me to be quiet and stop. <laughs> um, I, want us when we, I want us when we come to the church now, and we say, okay, now what is the church called to do? What parameters? I want us to understand. We we can't just take that subject on its own and say, well, missions is whatever we want the church to be. We have to understand that it flows from an exclusive God. And in the midst of that, we have an exclusive church that God's designed to fulfill his purposes. We'll understand better how that works out in in the weeks ahead. So we'll get into the nitty-gritty of these things and tackle questions that are are tricky. I mean, universal church, all all those pieces that bring confusion to to, to the missional work as well, to bring clarity to that. And we'll, we'll attack the idea of church and Matthew 16. I find it really helpful to understand that Matthew 16 is the first reference to church where he gives the promise that he'll build his church. And the second reference to church is where? Matthew 18 with the discipline within a local congregation. So I want to, to walk through that in our understanding of the church. And then from there... Uh, discuss how that plays out in missional work. So, appreciate your time this evening. Um, definitely, we'll be taking questions. In the beginning, you're afraid to leave room for questions because I got Pastor Ali here. He's going to hard. He's going to throw me a hard ball. And then I've got Steve Melvin. He's going to run me on a rabbit trail. Then I've got Fred. He's going to ask me a history question. So, to avoid all that, you know, I try to run off. I try to run out the clock. And so, this is what I've done tonight successfully. So, let's pray. Father, we, we are so thankful that uh, you've given us eyes to see and ears to hear. 
And Lord, as we see the, the body of Christ, what, a, what a, a beauty that man couldn't have conceived. This is not a man-made institution. It's a, a God-ordained and God-designed institution. Not in its institutional form, but in a called-out assembly of believers gathered for the purpose of worshiping you. So Lord, I pray as we, as we walk through this that you would give us understanding that you would give us a heart's desire, Lord, to, to understand the biblical parameters that you've been given, that, that have been given to us, and that we might be faithful in that. And Lord, even in the com- complexity of, of, of uh, the missional culture, that we would, as a church, understand what we're, we're called to do and to, to be obedient, Lord, to the best of our ability. I thank you, Lord, for the blessing of our time together this evening. I commit this to you. In your name we pray. Amen.